Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, 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 good. I'm looking forward to getting into God's Word with you this morning as we continue along and look at these two goals that we've been talking about. Uh, Just a reminder, back in November, the elders went away and we fasted and prayed about two goals, two goals that we could emphasize for 2020, and we identified family ministry and generosity. So family ministry to strengthen and develop our family ministries at OBC. Generosity to promote and develop a greater culture of generosity at OBC. Now you notice out in the lobby that there are Thrive uh, options And there's a big Thrive table, and thank you to Jonna Hickman for putting that beautiful uh, display together. Um, As we were praying about this goal, the elders felt led to just change for one semester how we normally do Thrive. Uh, Normally, we have various Thrive group offerings where we're studying many different types of topics, either Bible study or uh, discipleship topics or spiritual life topics. But as we were praying about generosity, we felt that it would be good for just this season to get the entire church together aligned on on a spiritual discipleship topic together. And as we thought about the idea of generosity, we, we, we said to ourselves really that generosity involves two things. Uh, The first is the idea of generosity, which is the disposition. It is a heart disposition of being outwardly minded and others focused. And, And yes, that involves how I use my money, but it also involves how I use my time and uh, how I use my skills and all of those things. So we are going to be in groups where we're looking at the heart disposition with Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, which is an incredible book. Uh, Over two million copies of it sold, and I'm looking forward to us getting into that together. But some of us, as we think about generosity, we might need to first get into a stewardship class. Stewardship, I would suggest to you, is the discipline that comes before the disposition. Uh, if, if I don't have a plan around my finances, uh, a plan to manage my finances, then at some point when God lays it on my heart to be generous, I might not be able to be generous in the way that I would want to uh, because there is some disorganization in the way that I'm spending my money. And one of the best classes I think there is out there on stewardship is Financial Peace University. How many of you have gone through Financial Peace University before? Okay. If you have never been in Financial Peace University, if you don't have time to now, we'll we'll be offering this later on. You have got to get into Financial Peace University. I I read Dave Ramsey's books uh, five or six years ago, and it was life-changing for me. And uh, I got to tell you, um, get into that class if you haven't done it before. If you're in a Thrive group already and, and you're saying to yourself, you know, I could really use stewardship more right now than generosity, go, go to your Thrive leader and just say, yeah, I, I think I'm going to check out Financial Peace University. And here's the thing, no one's going to think that you're in like critical debt or something like that if you get into Financial Peace. Uh, everybody needs to do Financial Peace at some point. That's my point. 
All right, we ready to get into family ministry? Yeah. All right. And hopefully everyone gets into a Thrive group. I'm going to be watching. No, I'm not, not going to be watching. <laughs> so last week we talked about the role of the parent when it comes to family ministry. And I noted that the center of family ministry involves the parent, according to the scriptures. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. And it was in that passage that God gives us the mandate or the challenge, the stewardship responsibility of raising our children. You know, it's even interesting that we use the term, my children. Because in, response, uh, in reality, my children are not really my children. They're God's children. He's the creator. He uh, put the plan in place in eternity past for this child to come into the world. And I get the privilege and responsibility, the stewardship responsibility of raising them. Now, as you think about this responsibility and you think about the vision that I'm casting, some of us might hear this and think, Rob is giving us a guarantee from the Scriptures that if I put all of these principles into practice, poof, my kids will magically be raised and they will follow Jesus for the rest of their life, love Him and know Him. Friends, I can't give you that guarantee. Um, we, we know from the Scriptures that when it comes to salvation, every individual person is responsible before God to come to that decision to know Him, love Him, and follow Him. In fact, I know some of us in this room have adult children and, and our hearts grieve because they're not walking with Jesus right now. And we long to see them walk with Jesus and we pray for them. And, and you even look back at what you did and you say, I think I did everything right. And that may very well be the case. So what we're talking about when we get into these principles are general truths. The idea is that when we apply these general truths into our lives, parents who are raising your children right now, that more often than not, these are the types of behaviors that help our children, influence our children to walk with Jesus for a lifetime. So let's remember, uh, let's remember one truth and look at another truth that will help us as we think about this. The first truth is this. God never asks us to do something that He first doesn't give us the equipment to do. Another way that we could say this is what God calls us to do, He empowers us to do. And I need to hear that as a parent. I need to know that because it is a huge responsibility. The other thing that I need to know as a parent is that we are not called to parent alone. God has given us a great provision in his local church to raise our children, strengthen our marriages, and also to walk through many of life's difficult circumstances together, whether that would be a deep loss in our life or also the good moments, the high points in life. In fact, as we begin this conversation about family ministry in the church, we need to realize a great reality about the church, and it is this, the church is a family. The church is a family. It's not a place we attend. It's not an event that we go to that happens Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30. No, the church is a spiritual family. 
And this spiritual family is made up of all different types from all different backgrounds with many different struggles. And there is really only one thing that transcends all of those differences and brings us together in one room. And it is this, that we've been saved by grace through faith, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is not a, a reality out there that would bring this eclectic group of people together in a room. When you look at the church and see how different it is, you have to say there is something deep and fundamental that brings these people together, and it is Jesus and his shed blood on the cross. And not only that, not only does the, the cross save us, but because Jesus did that, we're also brought into God's big family. We see that in Galatians 4 and 5. It says that God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And when the Bible talks about the church, it uses many different metaphors. It speaks of the church being a field, a building, a temple. Uh, it speaks of the church being a body. But, and, and, and those metaphors are really important because they add depth and dimension to our understanding of what the local church is. But when the Bible talks of the church being a family, it is not using a metaphor. We are not to think of the church being like a family. We are to think of the church as my family. Now in many passages we are told to relate to one another and respect to one another as a family. Uh, we look at 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. It uses this family language. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, young women as sisters in all purity. And the thing that I love about this familyness of the church is it means that no matter where we are in life, if I'm a part of the local church, I have a family. So maybe you lost a spouse and maybe there's been a deep loneliness in your life because of that loss. Well, the church is your extended family. The church, if, if they knew your spouse, carries the memories of your spouse with you. Uh, maybe for some of you it involves a, a parent relationship, a fractured parent relationship. Either you didn't have a good relationship with your parents or you had no relationship with your parents or you didn't even know your parents. In the church, God gives us many spiritual mothers and fathers. Or maybe you're away from home, far away from home. Well, the local church is your home far away from home always. You might be thinking to yourself as we're talking about family ministry, well, I don't know if this is going to apply to me this morning. Friend, nothing can be further from the truth. We never get into a topic in the scriptures that does not apply to me. It all applies to me. And if you think to yourself, well, I don't really have a child in the children's ministry program or the youth program, the church is your family. We have many children in the children's ministry program and youth program. And we are called as a body to love them, care for them, and see that they are influenced for the gospel. Amen. So that's why... As the elders considered this truth, the church is a family, we determined that this really needs to become a stated value here at OVC. What is a value? 
Uh, value basically describes what is important to us. If I were to ask you, what do you wish to be known for? What, what, what is most important? Or, uh, yeah, what do you wish to be known for? What do you want to be known for? Whatever answers come out of your mouth as you respond to that question, those, I would suggest to you, are your values. So we wish to be known as a family church. A family church. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a lot of things. It looks like a place where, again, many people from different backgrounds walk into an atmosphere that feels like I'm walking into someone's home and I am invited to be a part of the family. It, it looks like kids running around the church, kids laughing, kids sometimes getting a little goofy within reason. It looks like babies crying and cooing in the church. It looks like people who, for all intents and purposes and other domains of life, experience immense loneliness, but when they walk into the church, they're seen, they're known, they're recognized, and they're valued. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about we want to be known as a family church. And I hope that that's not just something that we're forcing on the church, because I don't think it is. I think it's a value that we already embody together. So we're just putting language to it. So that's the theology. The church is a family. Now let's start thinking about family ministries and, and parents being the center of family ministry and the church coming in. And I want to suggest to you this, that family ministry works when parents and the church partner together. Barner Research recognized this about family ministry the ministry is having the greatest success at seeing young people emerge into mature Christians rather than churchgoers are those that facilitate a parent-church partnership focused on instilling specific beliefs and practices in a child's life from a very early age. So let's envision this a little bit. Let's visualize it. I think we can all agree that the transition of a child moving from dependence to independence is a huge transition. And, and that's just not uh, dependence to independence in terms of uh, they're living on their own now, but in terms of their moral values, their spiritual beliefs, dependence to independence is a big transition. Your, your child's life began on the safe beach of dependence. It was on this beach where you did mostly everything for them. And if you want to think of it in terms of ages, maybe we're speaking of birth through three or four. But essentially around this time, you were feeding them, clothing them, sheltering them, changing their diapers, telling them when to get up, when to lie down, reading to them, praying for them. You're doing everything in their world. Well, as that child continues to grow, it's your job to navigate the uncertain coastal waters of transition so that they can arrive eventually into the open seas of independence. And our hope spiritually is that this child will learn to do this by having a personal faith in Jesus, walking with Jesus, and that faith will continue on for the rest of their life. Well, the first part of that journey tends to be less tumultuous because we put break walls in place 
from the time that they're young through early adolescence. We don't let the kids go out past certain times. We limit their television intake. We know these break walls, they prevent things like waves and choppy water from coming in and disrupting harbors. And so, all of those things are put in place because we know what kind of world there is out there. And we don't want a child to be exposed to some of the ups and downs too early in life. But as a child enters into middle and late adolescence, they begin to move beyond the break walls into choppier waters. The choppy waters are the places where our children have more freedom to choose and are exposed to more choices, whether good or bad. So this is the place where there's crashing waves. This is the place where there are underlying obstructions, such as large boulders. You've navigated these waters before, and you've hit some of those boulders, and you know what it feels like. So you say to your kids, look, I don't want you to hang out with certain influences. And as you say that to them, their perspective is, I've been navigating these waters for quite a long time now, like 12, 14 years. I'm getting pretty good at this. And I've never hit a major obstruction. It's been pretty good. All the while you're thinking, well, I hit that rock and it really hurt. And so you're helping them, you're, you're considering them, you're thinking of these things as they're navigating the water. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do I help them navigate this transition? Especially when it comes to their faith. And, and, and my big point in all of this is that the best way to safely bring a child through this journey is for parents in the church to partner together. I, I imagine it like this. The journey is taking place on a rowboat that requires two operators. I know most rowboats require one, so you know, if you're going to critique me and have roast preacher after church, I get it. But we're imagining, right? Put your thinking clap, caps on, everybody. Two operators. And initially, this boat goes out, and when we're working best together, partnering together, the parent and the church are rowing the boat together. As that child continues to grow, I would submit to you that it is the parent's job to teach the child how to row the, their oar and also to hand the oar over to them along the way, more and more so as they're getting older. All the while, the church is continuing to row with that child till eventually, one day, the child becomes an adult and the child is now rowing with the church. Now, what we see here is that the church is always our rowing partner. Always. The child needed the church when you were a parent and you were like, what am I going to do with this little baby? They needed the church as you, they were growing up and they were helping you and the church was spiritually feeding them and, and the church was also helping you to disciple them. And then they're going to need the church even after they leave the home so that they can operate an independent Christian life and continue to follow Jesus. So that there's the idea. The church is always our rowing partner. But, but what happens if we're not rowing together? <laughs> Have you ever seen someone try to row a rowboat with one oar? 
Uh-huh. So let's talk about partnership. How can we partner together? Uh, I understand this about partnership. Maybe you do too. Partnership requires two parties, right? We, we can't have partnership if only one party is partnering. Both parties have to partner. So how does that work? What kind of principles can we look at that would help us to understand that? I want to identify four. The first principle is this idea of mutual support. You know, for partnering to work, we can't think of one another as the nebulous they. You ever heard people talking about they? Can you believe the decision they made? Can you believe that they just did that? And I'm always sitting there asking myself, who in the world is they? Start telling me some names or something. They's got to be somebody. But when we think of one another like they, or when you think of the church as the church, that sounds so official, it's a surefire way for us to create a church where no one feels responsible for anything. Friends, there's no they. There's only us. And as a member, as a member I must say, I am responsible for what happens in my church. All over the New Testament, there's language of mutual support. There's a, a Greek word, alelon, which can be translated as one another. And these passages talk to us about how we were to relate to one another. Jesus said in John 13, 14, wash one another's feet. Uh, Paul said in Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. We're also told to be devoted to one another in love. 59 verses in the New Testament that are giving us not suggestions, but commands about how to do this. And do you want to know which command is used the most often? Love one another. Love one another. Let's take this idea of mutual support and let's apply it practically now to something like Sunday school programming or children's ministry programming. Many children's ministry programs say this message to parents. We are here to support you. We're here to support you. Now, I like a, a lot of that message. I'm, I'm not dumping on the message entirely. Uh, I'm a parent. I need help, okay? Just ask Katie. She'll tell you. But I don't think that's the clearest vision of mutual support that we could be casting to our people. I think a better statement is, instead of, we are here to support you, it's better to say, we are here to support one another. So this means specifically something for parents. Parents, I would suggest that you should support one another in family ministry by serving in the children's ministry, or if you have teenagers, serving in the teen ministry. Now, why am I specifically speaking to parents? I have several reasons to begin you should mutually support one another in this because you have a personal stake. You want the church to have excellent children's programming because you love your kids. You love your kids and you want them to have a children's ministry that is raising them up in the Lord, that is concerned about them, that knows them, that loves them. 
And even if children's ministry is not your gift, which I have some thoughts about that and I'll exercise restraint right now, even if you don't really enjoy children's ministry, I think it's a calling to parents. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, I mean, it compels us to be involved in the entirety of the spiritual development of the child. And I would suggest to you that includes their church life. Now think about it in terms of example as well. Do you think that your child's always going to remember everything that you did when you served in the church? I don't think so. They might not remember all the times you stacked chairs. They're probably not going to remember when you're at the soundboard. They're not going to remember every time you were not sure. And I'm not trying to single any ministry out or any one rollout. What I'm saying here is that I think that our children will remember that we taught them the Bible in Sunday school. I do. And then let's talk about the practical benefit of mutual support, and that is that the ministry can grow as big as it wants to. Because we're supporting it. We're supporting one another. So if this idea of mutual support resonates with you, James and the children's ministry leadership team are setting up serving cycles of four weeks. And my encouragement to parents, husbands and wives is to isolate maybe two of those serving cycles. What is four times 12? Or one times 12 because it's four weeks, 12. Yes, math. (laughs) 12 serving cycles. I am encouraging you to consider serving for two of those. And if we did that together, think about what would happen for the children's ministry. It would always be well-staffed. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I am terrified of that. I don't think I could do that. They're going to help develop you. That's part of the church's role in this. Let's move past mutual support and now look at the idea of equipping. In Ephesians 4.12, Paul tells us of the responsibility of leadership in the church Uh, those with teaching gifts in the church, and it's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Now, when we think about this idea of equipping, it's just plain common sense when it comes to raising children. I want you to realize uh, just the fact that it's a matter of time. When, When I was working with students in youth ministry or or the church has your child in a children's ministry program, on average, we get that child for about 40 hours per year. 40 hours. Now, maybe the most involved, there'll, there'll be more time than that, but think about that. That is about equivalent to one week of their school life. But you, parents, you get 3,000 hours per year with your child. So when you think about the church using its time, where do we want to invest our time? Do we want to invest it exclusively in a children's program? Or do we want to use a good portion of that time targeting and impacting the parent who is raising the child? And I would submit to you that I want to to go after the 3,000 hours and not the 40. So, we have to ask the question, well, what is that going to look like and, and how do we do this? 
I understand parenting is a difficult thing. There are a lot of ideas out there on how we could be parenting. Bringing a child from dependence to independence is hard. There's new ideas. We need fresh biblical perspective for today because the things that we're walking our children through today, we didn't even imagine we'd be walking them through 10 years ago. So the idea around this is that the church comes alongside by equipping to help you with all of those problems. So let's think about ways that we can do this. The, the elders have targeted several ways. One is we're preaching right now about it. And along the way, as we go through the scriptures, the Bible talks about family, but also we'll take some time here and there to talk about family in the scriptures. Also in the next uh, three months or so, we would like to put together a resource table with recommendation of books. I told you last week, 75,000 books on parenting, 10 books per day published on how you can be the better you parent. We want to put together a, a table that hopefully will help you cut through some of that and say, what books should I be reading? Because I can't read 75,000 books. I can barely read one. Another thing we'd like to have at this table is age-appropriate guides for different stages of child development when it comes to spiritually raising them. And then we're also going to target Thrive Group curriculum to help with this. Let's talk about now shepherding. Shepherding involves the ideas of watching over, nurturing, and guiding. This is one of the primary roles ascribed to the elders. Peter says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, provide oversight in 1 Peter 5.2. And part of the way that the elders do this is by creating structure within the church where other believers are watching over, nurturing, and guiding one another. And this specifically means then families too. Presently, our goal is to find a way to shepherd the church that is more proactive than reactive. My experience in youth ministry was that care tended to happen in a reactive fashion. Uh, a parent was dealing with a difficult situation with a teenager who has either gotten involved in things they shouldn't get involved or started walking away from their faith and then they come to the church looking for some type of wisdom to help them out in this situation. That's very reactive. But what if we could get out ahead of that and be proactive by establishing some structures of care that would help our kids? How can we do that? I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Fourth way we can partner is instilling. Instilling. I would suggest to you that parents and church need to work together to instill a value in our children. So remember, at some point, we're handing that oar over to our child, and they're going to be rowing with the church. So we must instill this value, value in them. You are a vital member of the local church. You are a vital member of the local church. Let me tell you about two conversations that I had with two 10-year-old girls that caused me to think deeply about this. The first little girl, I was just introducing myself to her, saying hi to her, and just, 
Out of nowhere, she started telling me about her church. She said, my church just made this decision and we decided dot, dot, dot. And then she went on, I got to tell you, I don't think I fully agree with that decision. I think that the, le the leadership of the church could have handled that a little better. Good New England girl right there. <laughs> but did you, did you hear? My church, we decided. I was having another conversation with a 10-year-old girl, and as we were talking, I said, isn't it? neat that you are a part of your church that you're an important part of your church and she looked at me quizzically and said wait a minute i'm a part of my church friends if we want our kids to roll with the church as adults they need to know that they're a vital part of that church and i'm looking at you right now young people whether you're a child whether you're a teenager, whether you're into that early phase of college life or just post-college, you're a part of us. You are a vital part of this church. You're not the church future. You're the church right now. And you can start being the church right now with us. Well, how can we help them to see that? I recommend three ways. Involvement. This simply means getting them to become a part of the church by serving. We feel that we belong to what we are involved in. If we are not involved in it, we don't really feel like we belong to it. So that's why children in the first part of worship is here to stay. Uh, we don't want to separate our kids from big church for most of their childhood. We want them here with us, singing with us, being a part of it. It's also our goal to reach out to ministry leaders who have roles within the church that kids could do at an age-appropriate level and say, let's find a way to onboard some of our children and get them into serving with us. And, and families, I would encourage you, serve together. And then leave church and debrief about that. Hey, wasn't it fun to be a part of the church today and serve? Let's talk about the mixing of generations. You know, several decades ago, in many churches, they, they sliced up the generations of the church like one big melon. So much so that you could spend an entire week of the church life and never really rub shoulders with someone from a different generation than yourself. And this even involved children in their departments, youth in their departments, young adults in their departments, and on and on and on we go. We, we segmented the church, and some would even say that we created an octopus without a brain. I think intergenerational interaction is so vital for kids. I grew up in a church that was intergenerational. I learned so much about faith by watching people experience different aspects of the life of faith and doing it well. I also realized that there were certain things that I, I didn't necessarily feel comfortable to talk to my parents about, but I needed a soap in my life. Not because I was stinky, but it's an acronym. Some other adult person who could come alongside and and challenge me or, or tell me about Scripture 
or broaden my perspective. Finally, we instill this value by celebrating significant milestones. One of the goals is to identify what these are, whether it's children moving from children's ministry to youth ministry or baptism, graduation. There are a lot of milestones that we can celebrate together as a church and include the children in that celebration by recognizing them. So we want to do that. So after we've looked at partnering, let's talk about a big opportunity. Okay, next steps. As we prayed over this goal, uh, your elders have heard the desire that many families in our church long to return to a midweek children's program. And I want to tell you, we've been listening. We really have. I, I look back, and I've been a part of this church for nine years now, and we had a wonderful midweek children's program. It was a wana, it was alive, it was vibrant. Our children enjoyed it. Families enjoyed it. And so a big part of this for us is to look at that and, and take some of the best parts of that, but also to merge that with our family ministry vision that we've been talking about for two weeks. So the big question is, how can we create a program that spiritually feeds our children and equips our parents? How do we get the most out of the 40 hours, right? Our vision is to launch what we are calling Family Ministry Night this September 2020. I know a lot of you are details people and you're just like, I've got a billion questions right now. No, I'm just giving you big ideas. I can't answer all the details. We'll be here for hours. But let me give you some of the big ideas about this. One of them is that it will be a gathering of the family for the family. So you can imagine a night where there's teens who are with Pastor James and, and they're doing their fun, vibrant youth ministry program. You can also envision on that same night that children will be involved in a children's ministry program that is developing them. And at the same time, we are asking every parent who has a child involved in the children's ministry to also be in a Thrive group that is equipping them in that role. And we're also going to do a lot of fun stuff along the way, like dinners and movie nights and fall festivals and all that kind of stuff. It will be structured on a mutual support system. So while there will be others involved, there will be others who do not have a young child in this program who are just our children's ministry team extraordinaires that we love. Thank you, children's ministry work. Come on. Children's ministry workers, we love you for what you do. We're also going to be asking and encouraging our parents to support one another by serving. So again, we can't get into all the details about that, but the big idea is that sometimes we will be serving and sometimes we will be in Thrive Group together. And what that ratio looks like, that's going to be a part of a parent conversation that James and I will be having in February with parents at a meeting. Another big idea, we'll provide proactive shepherding. So what we want to do with the Thrive program is put some parent mentors leading the Thrive groups 
who can give a holistic type of care to the family by knowing every child's name, by being involved in their life, by occasionally calling them and checking in and, and maybe even setting up some goals together that they can be working on together and, and of course, praying for them on a consistent basis. To instill the value of children being a part of the church, we want the child to understand they're part of the whole vision, worship, transformation, but we also want them to feel like they're a part of mission. So how do we get children into the mission of the church? Uh, One plan that we are creating right now is to have what we would just call family mission trips. So the summer of 2021, we would like to design a mission trip where members can come, but particularly if members have children, that the children would be able to come and that the family would be able to do the mission trip together. And uh, there's more exciting things to talk about. The elders will be sharing one more big opportunity on February 5th. So I just want you to put that on your calendar. Do not miss the annual meeting. Um, I think we're going to see that that will be an exciting time for us as a church. Well, let's conclude. What's the goal? The goal is long-term impact with our children. We don't want to just create a program where 100 kids show up uh, or a youth program where 100 kids show up, and that's the goal. We want a goal that says we want children who grew up and reached their 40s who are discipling their children to follow Jesus. The challenge is this. We have a limited window of opportunity of greatest influence. And when our children leave the home, we we still have a lot of influence. But the greatest influence for our children is while they're young. We call it the 414 window. Now think of it like this. In this jar, I have 936 marbles. And these marbles represent a week in the life of a child of opportunity. So I think birth all the way through 18 when a child normally leaves the home, we have 936 weeks of opportunity. I remember when I was a younger parent holding Lexi for the first time and multiple people came by and said, you have no idea how quickly this is going to go. It's going to make your head spin. And I'm holding this little girl that I felt like it took forever for her to be born and saying to myself, what are they talking about right now? I've got a lot of time. But now she's 10 years old and half of the marbles are gone from that jar of opportunity. (laughs) If you've ever thought to yourself, my children are causing me to lose my marbles, it's true. (laughs) And we know how quickly and frantically and frenetically life moves. So that sometimes as I'm moving through life, I get distracted. And sometimes I drop opportunity along the way. We don't want that. We want that long-term impact. Remember, you're not doing it by yourself. You are a part, I am a part, of a local gathering of believers 
who have committed to one another that we are doing this together. And so that's why we're making these big changes in family ministry, because we want to use every single one of those 936 weeks well. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. As I think about our children and our families and and the extended family of the church, I'm just so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel where Christ shed his blood on the cross for my sins. And because of that, I've been justified in your sight. I can be saved from my sins. And also, to add to already a beautiful, wonderful exchange, relationally, I can be your adopted son in Jesus. It doesn't get better than that, Lord. And so I pray this morning, if there is one who does not know Jesus is their Savior. That in this moment, in this time, in the best way they know how, that they would reach out to you and say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the dead. And and because of that, I can have new life in you. I can be one of God's adopted sons or daughters. Amen.